The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at HeftyRenew.com. The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at HeftyRenew.com. The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at HeftyRenew.com. Hello and welcome back to the One Short Podcast, the Sports Gazette's official cricket podcast. I'm Michael, hosting again, second week on the bounce, but I'm still joined by Toby and Ayush. How are you guys? Ayush, how are you doing? Good, good. Not bad at all. Uh, we're in a new look, One Short Podcast today, so it's looking pretty exciting. I know a lot of you guys can't see it, but uh, for us, yeah, it's new, it's exciting, it's fun and happy to have Michael hosting again. Yeah, we're levelling up. Uh, if you can tell the audio quality should be a little bit better but Toby yeah I'm good I'm good it'll either be much better or much worse when the audio doesn't work and we've got a spare mic just <laughs> in the middle of the three of us that'll hopefully pick up what we're saying yeah yeah so it could either be really good or really bad so we'll see um, but yeah we've got a slightly different format this week our first episode not based on the Cricket World Cup uh, and we're going to start off talking about what's been happening in the last week or in the cricket world and then move on to our weekly cricket conundrum which I've just decided that's going to, that's what that's going to be called I like it I like it <laughs> really nice um which is our debate section you know we're going to be debating uh a controversial issue that's been happening in the world of cricket um this week we're going to be talking about the Cricket World Cup format. That's what we're going to be talking about. <laughs> Need a little drum roll in there, I think, for the editing. Uh, yeah, we're going to be talking about the Cricket World Cup format, how they can change that in the next tournament. So, yeah, let's get going. Australia v India, currently at the moment, T20 series. They've currently played three matches. In the most recent one, Glenn Maxwell continued his incredible World Cup form with 104 of 48 balls in Australia's chase of 223. Australia needed 43 off the last 12 balls and 21 off the last six and Glenn Maxwell carried Australia through hitting the last ball, four balls for six, four, four and four. Now, I wanted to ask you guys, who are the players who are coming through? You know, they've rotated their squads as it's so close to the World Cup. Who are the players that are coming through? Ayush, I'll start with you. Who, who have impressed you? <laughs> no one more than Glenn Maxwell. I know it's been a long time since he's come through, but I mean, just so cool. I mean, he, won, he wins the World Cup. He, he's not there. He's just resting for a couple of games. And he was anyway, I think he was going to leave after the third game, uh, gone back home anyway. And he says, OK, as a parting gift, I'm just going to win you a match that no one thinks we're going to win and signs off in style. But yeah, no, uh, more to your question. The young players, I think, uh, first looking at India because the Indian team, uh, you know, is supposed to be kind of, a, in a way, a, you know, a young side coming up after the World Cup. You're seeing a lot of new young faces as well, of course, with a lot of the big guns resting. And it would be interesting because a few of these could make uh, the T20 World Cup side as well. From this series, I think... The biggest positive for India has to be Rinku Singh. 
I mean, they, it's I know it's a bit unfair, and I don't agree with the comparisons to MS Dhoni that have already been floating around because he finished a couple of matches uh, with the bat at that number six, seven position, and right away everyone starts comparing him to MS Dhoni. That's not fair on him more than anything because he's starting out and he doesn't need that kind of pressure. But he's been a big positive even today. Uh, the fourth T20I going on as we're recording this in India had just finished their innings and Rinku was again very good uh, to give India a decent finish with the bat. So he's been big positive. For him, it was always going to be challenging, right? Because not too much of uh, cricket for India, but not not that much of IPL cricket as well. If you see his his IPL career, there are quite a few others who've got a lot of experience in in the IPL, but uh, he's just had a couple of breakout seasons where last season I think was really the breakthrough season for him and then he just played in Ireland and now he's playing this and he's already doing well against Australia so Rinku big positive uh, Rutraj Gaikwad what he did in the previous game in the 30-20 even though India lost that 100 was so good to watch I mean that's the quality he possesses he's shown it in the IPL uh, with CSK and uh, he's just carrying on that over here. So that's definitely a guy for the future. For me, the most exciting is Yashasvi Jaiswal. Just the way he starts. I think Indian fans are already excited about Rohit Sharma and Yashasvi Jaiswal opening uh, the batting for India at the next T20 World Cup, which is, I mean, yeah, we, we're not sure if first of all if that's going to happen because Shubman Gill would also have something to say in that. But yeah, Yashasvi Jaiswal is someone so good, gives you that left-right combination as well. And he's just such an explosive left-handed batter. And I think he's playing his best cricket right now. So it'll be a good shout to invest a lot more in him as well. Uh, yeah, so for the batting, I think these guys, Surya Kumar Yadav is just who he is in T20 cricket. There's, uh, I think he is the best T20 batter in the world right now. Uh, Ishan Kishan as well, really good. But uh, yeah, I think these guys have improved, uh, impressed me the most when it comes to the Indian team. Toby, what do you think of, first of all, India? Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think Rinku Singh has been extraordinary so far. I mean, he's, what, batted bat three times, scored I don't know, here, 20, 22 from 14, 31 from 9, and thirty and 46 from 29 today. It's absolutely insane. I mean, you, you mentioned Dhoni, that he's probably his biggest comparison. I'd say it was Hardik. Yeah. Uh, obviously, he's slightly, more, slightly injury-prone, Hardik, and, and having two of him isn't going to hurt a side at all. Um, but I think he's been fantastic. Bowls a bit of seam as well, I want to say. So, so pretty good, good player to have. Um, and J- Jaiswal at the top of the order, I think, is unbelievable. If he can play the way that we know he can, alongside Rohit, maybe, um, who who seems to have found great form and particularly uh, a lot more aggressive in the last year in the ODI setup, at least, that, that maybe that could be the way going forward for the T20s and India might have a chance of, of taking home a trophy. I also think that um, Josh Inglis, obviously he was playing in the World Cup for Australia, but made a brilliant hundred in the first game of the series. Unfortunately, wasn't enough to, to get a victory for Australia, but 110 from 50 was unbelievable. And if it wasn't for Steve Smith's slow half century, Australia might have actually had a chance to defend. I mean, they scored 208 as it was and lost on the last ball or the penultimate ball. Um, but it's... It seems mental that they manage that with someone striking at 120 for 40 balls. Um, whereas India didn't really have anyone clogging them down throughout. And they, they still struggled, struggled to get there almost, which, is, uh, which just shows how impressive an innings it was from Josh Inglis. Yeah, it was really good. Josh Inglis was very good. And uh, in the last game that Australia won, Travis had again adding to the nightmares of Indian fans and Indian bowlers. Yeah, those World Cup final... Demons are back to haunt India once again. Um, but yeah, it's a T20 series that's finally in the balance right now. Uh, as we're recording this, India have just put on 179 for Australia to chase. Um, Australia are losing the series 2-1, um, but be interesting to see if they can fight back and chase that score down, which is, is you know, it's a chaseable score. You'd think they probably will. Um, but moving away from Australia against India... Uh, we've had some interesting news in terms of the T20 World Cup, which is coming next year. Namibia and Uganda have both qualified 
for the World Cup. They're the last two of the 20 teams to qualify. Um, what are your thoughts on that, guys? Massive, massive news for both countries. Huge. Uh, so good. I mean, two teams that we rarely see at these big tournaments and finally seeing them in Namibia definitely played more cricket uh, than Uganda at this level, at the World Cup level, I should say. But uh, what a story, Uganda, for them. Uh, first T20 World Cup, uh, you know, we're going to be seeing Canada as well for the first time. But for Uganda, uh, you know, African representation is just going to be so good for the World Cup. Yeah, cricket, uh, the, you know, we've also spoken about it during the World Cup that it has to do more to be a more global sport. And yeah, T20 cricket was the way uh, for them to do that. And that, that they had decided that they wanted to go that way. And 20-team World Cup and we're seeing... Namibia and Uganda, it's just so good with, uh, you know, the Uganda team, the dance that they've been doing uh, after the victories has been something that's, uh, you know, catching a lot of attention, but uh, exciting cricket and Zimbabwe is going to be a big miss. I mean, imagine that, that's, that's how much we're seeing growth in the sport as well within different regions where Zimbabwe is going to be missing out and Uganda's made it through. So it's, it's just so great to see these teams. I think the first World Cup, I think East Africa was part of the first ODI World Cup in 1975. And there were two players from Uganda uh, who played for that team. And since then, it's been nothing. And now finally, an entire team uh, from Uganda is going to be playing a T20 World Cup. So it's such a wonderful moment for them. Yeah, I, I think one of the things that probably says most about Ugandan cricket is their first match ever against a test playing nation was the game against Zimbabwe earlier yeah. this week which really does just show how little opportunity they've got and how big an opportunity this World Cup will be for them um, and it'll be really exciting to see what, what they might be able to do I mean we saw a lot of upsets in the ODI World Cup obviously Uganda aren't quite on the same level as Afghanistan or the Netherlands but if they can get any sort of victory that'll be huge and it'll almost be at the level of, of another country winning the whole World Cup I think which which would be really exciting. I, I don't know a huge amount. I don't think many people know a huge amount about them and, and their side. So it'll be nice to see over the next sort of what six months what what they can what they can do and, and what their team's all about, really. And more than anything, it's just the experience that they're going to get, right? Because uh, it's going to be five groups of four teams each at the World Cup in the group stage, and uh, what that means is they're definitely going to play at least two of the Test playing nations. Uh, at the T20 World Cup. So more than anything, it's just the experience of getting to play against. And what if they have someone like India or Australia or England in their in their uh, group? Yeah, you could expect that the big teams are going to be running away with that kind of a match, but it's just the exposure. And that's what this World Cup will be all about for a team like that. Yeah, I mean, I think they'll learn so much from from playing within it. It'll be, like, say, say they play against Afghanistan and they have a, a mystery spinner or a leg spinner in there. I, I almost guarantee they'll try and speak to Rashid Khan and, and learn, to, learn a few tips. Or if you've got a sort of aggressive opening batter, you might try and have a word with um, Johnny Best or Joss Butler or, or whoever it might be. Um, and you, you see it so much between the test-playing nations and particularly in bilateral series um, that the younger guys are going up to speak to some of the more experienced and established players within world cricket to find out tips, let alone from these associate nations who don't get the opportunity ever really, to, to try and speak and, and learn more and develop as, as cricketers. So I think this will be huge for the future of Ugandan cricket and, uh, as well. I mean, the first thing that came into my head when I found out about the news was financially. I mean, how much of an impact do you think this will have on both teams' future, their development? I, I mean, I assume it'll be huge. Um, obviously, we don't know any figures, but just the exposure that it'll create and actually almost proving to governing bodies and um, funding from, from the government or whoever funds um, their cricket boards that they've gotten to a World Cup, they need some more funding to, to stay at this level, sustain it and actually keep improving as a, as a country. So it should hugely help. And I mean, it's one of the biggest benefits, I think, of, of the Olympics and cricket sort of entering that is that many countries will now see the possibility of playing cricket for, for associate nations. Obviously, it's only an eight-team tournament, I think, possibly even six um, at the, the uh, LA Olympics. But by the time it gets to 2036, which is hopefully a Medabad, I think, um, I assume they'll try and grow cricket and might even get a 20-team um, 
sort of tournament similar to the World Cup that we've got coming up next year. Um, so I think that would massively increase any sort of future earnings for for these sort of um, associate cricket teams. No, absolutely. And uh, I spoke to uh, the coach of the Canadian cricket team a few weeks ago, and I'd done a piece of that for you know on that on Sports Gazette as well. And one of the things in the discussion with him was that now that cricket is going to be an Olympic sport, like you said, Toby. Uh, the government or uh, you know Sport Canada in their case and whatever the equivalent of that in a country like Uganda is, uh, it's going to, you know, attract attention from them, attract interest from them and say like, okay, our team is now going to play a T20 World Cup. This format and this sport is going to be in the Olympics as well. So that gives the board as well more funding. It also more than anything helps if things like that happen, it helps grow the game from the grassroots because if they're looking at a future, I'm sure they just don't want to stop at one T20 World Cup appearance or maybe in the future sometime play one Olympic Games or something. They want this to continue. They want constant representation at these big events. So, And the first step to that, the most important step, will be building the grassroots. The more funding they get from ICC or within their country for the sport, they can build a development system. And yeah, that's when, that's when you actually grow. Yeah, I think it's definitely the direction that most people want these international tournaments to go in, isn't it? You know, more teams. We'll get onto that later when we talk about the ODI Cricket World Cup debate about the format. But just quickly, uh, elsewhere this week in England, we've had the Cricket Writers Club Awards. Um, Harry Brook won England's Player of the Year. Toby, thoughts on that? I think rightfully so. He's, he's an all-format player, first of all. Fought his way into the ODI World Cup squad, which... A lot of people have almost forgotten that Jason Roy originally was in that spot. Um, test cricket-wise, he's been fantastic. What debuted at the end of last year against South Africa um, and then just excelled after a sort of a struggle in that first test. I mean, Pakistan, he was unbelievable. Made, what, 100 in every game, I want to say? I think I remember that record being Pretty much, yeah. around. Um, and, and has continued to improve. Had a, had a good Ashes as well. Not, not anything standout, but but seemed to do really well and, and obviously part of the, what well, was last year, I guess now, but the T20 World Cup squad that, that won the World Cup um, at the end of last year. I don't know whether that's included or how they define the, the year with, it, with the awards being in November, but I think he's been amazing and he's only going to get better really, which is exciting to see. Yeah, I, I can't wait to see how England, I think, I feel like he's, he's the player we need to build the ODI setup around. Like just, he can, I feel like he could bat anywhere in the top five. Do you agree? Pretty much. I mean, Maybe top top six even. Um, yeah. I think he obviously showed he could open the batting against New Zealand. Uh, was it New Zealand? I think it was. Um, beginning or just before the World Cup. Um, obviously, it's not his preferred position. I think he, he's almost always going to be a sort of number five um, kind of player. He's going to come in and dominate attacks. Um, but I mean, you saw with Owen Morgan when he was younger, he batted at five, batted at six. And with a bit more experience, you know, and how to manipulate the field. And then you can explode when you've got your eye in. That he's definitely got... Uh, if he can learn that skill, then he's got the ability to bat anywhere within the top um, top six, top seven. Yep. Uh, elsewhere in the awards, Nat Skyver Brunt won the Women's Cricket Award. James Rue won the Young Cricketer of the Year. Alex Lees won the County Championship Player of the Year. Uh, and Lauren Filer won the Emerging Cricketer of the Year with Alfie Pyle winning the Disability Cricket of the Year. Ayush, any, who, any thoughts on that? Any deserved... Winners, any not so deserved winners? What are your thoughts? Really good. I mean, I was so glad to see Nat Silverbrunt and Lauren Filer as well uh, getting uh, recognition. Lauren Filer is really exciting cricketer. I mean, uh, we're going to see her on uh, the the tour of India as well right now. That we're soon going to be having a test match as well. I believe Lauren Filer is going to be playing that. Should make it to the team and uh, really exciting young bowler and glad to see them as well. And yeah, I agree with Harry Brook. They definitely need to, I agree with you, Michael, that build a side around him going forward. And he is an all-format player. Toby was speaking about him opening the innings as well and takes me back to the 2023 IPL where he didn't have a great IPL, but he did have 100 in that IPL and that came when he opened the innings. So he's shown that he can do that as well. Uh, And even in the World Cup, I think there were a couple of decent innings from him he wasn't originally supposed to be in the squad, but thankfully he was. Uh, 
and he did well so yeah definitely and i think test cricket so far has been the most impressive uh you know the most impressive showing from harry brook but yeah all formats get him in make him kind of the face of the team going forward definitely yeah uh two Eng- other england players who have been in the news this week joe root and ben stokes both dropped out of the ipl ben stokes not as much of a surprise as he's undergoing knee surgery which yes he started i think it was yesterday or maybe the day before yesterday um so hopefully that all goes well um we've got our test against india at the start of 2024 which he will be hopefully fit for um but joe root has dropped out what are your thoughts on that toby do you think it was expected not so expected uh, i don't think it's expected but i understand where he's coming from he's obviously not played in that many ipl years which is confusing in some ways i'd say that he is such a great player particularly off spin um although he's not the most explosive player so you can kind of see both sides of the argument dropping out wise i think it makes sense from his point of view he last year played for rajasthan royals i want to say um and didn't really get much game time um sort of carried a lot of drinks and was probably more of a squad member and a, an experienced player to try and coach through some of the other guys within the side um so i think if he's going to go and do that again it probably doesn't make that much sense when he already when he'd have already spent what two months out there for the india test series uh shoon were playing some white ball stuff out there as well similar time so it makes almost more sense for him to come back take a bit of time off play a bit for yorkshire if he fancies it if he doesn't he can spend some time with his family um up in sheffield so i think that makes a lot of sense really for for him to just relax where possible rather than just being on the sideline and running drinks because I can't imagine he's going to be the number one player at Rajasthan. Yeah, um definitely yeah. Uh neither player will be available for the England against West Indies T20 that we have coming up uh in a couple of weeks time. Um looking ahead to that, Aish, um the England squad much changed. We've I mean, we've talked about it on the podcast before, but um who are the players to watch in that series any west indies players as well that you know of um that might surprise us yeah uh, i think the west indies t20 squad is not yet officially out uh, the OD, uh, the odi squad for them is out uh, i mean i don't know if cuz i've not had a chance to look at it today if the west indies squad is out for the uh, t- t20s but yeah speaking about the england squad first so many exciting names you know in that t20 team uh i i really want to see of course harry brook we just spoke about him he's going to be so important will jacks is one guy i think at the top who's going to be really important I expect him to open the innings and uh he's also an off spinner so he can contribute there as well uh i think did he was it five or six wickets he picked on test debut uh five five uh, on yeah. test debut as well so yeah in and his batting is actually the most exciting part i was uh i think he's also there was a lot of talk about him not getting a central contract as well recently uh, which has surprised a lot of people but yeah i'm sure that will come for him uh, sooner rather than later given the talent he possesses so will jacks the top i am expecting him to do really well uh, for england i think it's going to be really important not just for now but even looking at that test squad that will play for india uh, that will play against india later uh, i think in the at the start of 2024 feb march is who's going to be their spin options and i think it's really time for rehan ahmed to start playing a lot more cricket for england because uh, in this squad i believe the t20s adil rashid is still there but i i i guess rehan ahmed is the main spinner in the odi squad for this uh, west indies tour so it's going to be a lot more responsibility on him now and uh, yeah it, the spin was one area where england really need to kind of up the game because we're not going to have moin ali as well playing uh, test as well as odi cricket he will be there in the t20s so they've got good support there with adil rashid still there moin there liam livingston uh in odis and t20s as well but rehan ahmed if they really want to have him as a test regular and keeping an eye on that india tour then he really needs needs to play a lot more cricket. Gus Atkinson, we spoke about him at the World Cup as well. Uh interesting to see how he does. I think England do have another spinner in Josh Turner in this uh uh Tom Tom Hartley. Tom Hartley, sorry, Josh, my bad. Josh uh, John Turner's a quick bowler. Of course, yeah. yeah. So he's going to that's going to be another spinning option, but 
yeah, you can't really bank on that newcomer so early. But yeah, among the bowlers, Gus Atkinson, uh, Timal Mills, I mean, I just hope he stays fit for once because that's the one thing that he needs. And uh, Reese Topley, again, another guy who I really hope stays fit. Injuries have been a big problem for him. We saw it in the World Cup as well. Big shame. And uh, yeah, I think these, these guys are the ones I'm really looking for, looking f- out for in this T20 team. Toby, what do you think? Yeah, no, no, I completely agree. I think it's quite nice seeing a large change in the ODI squad. And we've obviously talked about it before, what, six? Only six players from the World Cup squad over in West Indies for the ODIs, a few more for the T20s. Um, Rian Ahmed, I think you mentioned there, he could be world-class. Bowls leg spin, great batter as well. Um, and alongside Tom Hartley, it'll be interesting to see how they might perform with the ball. Liam Livingston's been selected, so they might look to see how he can keep developing as a, as a spinner. Um, he'll probably still be around in four years' time for the next World Cup, so definitely got to keep him in mind still. Um, and yeah, I mean, Josh Butler's captaincy, I think, is, is another thing you kind of have to look at. He's obviously had a struggling or struggled throughout the World Cup, so it's whether he can sort of keep the squad behind him. A lot of younger guys coming through, I'm sure he'll be able to mould and, and develop with. Um, and alongside Matthew Mott, they've not probably got that long left in the job if it keeps going the way it did at the World Cup. They've got the T20 World Cup next summer, Champions Trophy, which they did eventually qualify the year after. I think if if England's ODI hopes don't change, which I, which I assume they will, and I hope they will, um, then I can kind of see them not being in the job for that much longer, particularly Matthew Mott, I think. For me, the reason that Morgan and Trevor Bayliss worked so well is that Trevor Bayliss was a facilitator for Morgan's ultimate plan. He knew exactly what he wanted. He was so focused and had one goal in mind and was so determined to get there that they actually complemented each other very well. Matthew Mott and Joss Butler, I think, in some ways are possibly maybe too similar. Maybe they're both a bit more in the background. Neither particularly are um, a sort of that bigger personalities obviously we don't know what the dressing room itself is like but from from what you've sort of heard um so maybe Josh Butler needed a, a coach with a bit more focus and a bit more uh maybe a bit more outspoken obviously you don't want someone in there just disrupting the dressing room completely but there's a possibility maybe that that there could have been a better pairing but it'll be interesting to see maybe maybe we just it was one unlucky tournament which is which is very likely it often happens and it and it's probably overlooked a lot of the times that you just don't have the it just doesn't work sometimes it just falls apart and there's nothing that really that went wrong and once it started going wrong it was going to be a struggle to get it back on track and there's not much you can do about it at times all right we've got to move on to our weekly cricket conundrum uh our new segment where we debate the hottest topics in the world of cricket um yeah today we are we've been talking for a long time so we might have to be a little bit quick but we are going to be talking about the odi world cup format um, how are we going to do this? Should we suggest changes or, you know, out, outline what's wrong with it? I mean, I've written an article which is coming out this weekend just on the format and how and why it needs to change. Um, so I guess we can start there. So what are the biggest problems of the format, do you think, Aish? So much. I mean, I do, I'm not a fan of uh, this and we, we spoke about this with Nick Friend as well we had on the podcast and uh, Dan Gallen and others as well. So yeah, this all these this format of everyone playing everyone that we've seen, uh, you know, in the last few World Cups and it's just it just doesn't work out after a point because we saw so many games towards the fag end of the group stage were just meaningless at this World Cup and the the World Cup already had a problem where we hardly saw one or two really close games. Uh, as a f- matter of fact, there was just one last ball finish, I think, at the World Cup and only two last over finishes where until the last over you didn't really know what's going to happen. So that, that was already not good. And then this format. So, yeah, all playing all and then you see the team dominating, winning 10 matches in a row, one bad day, which that's the thing. I mean, we kept saying this, right? There was a reason that uh, Indian fans or, you know, even... Some of us kept saying that doesn't matter how good India is, that one bad day could come, and that could have very well come just two days before the final in the semi-final, and that could have been even worse because you dominate, you you're miles in front of everyone else, and then you lose this way. So, 
I think what's going to be what they're proposing for the next World Cup is at least a lot better with 14 teams, seven groups of sev- two groups of seven each. Then you go into a super six stage, I believe it is. Then the semifinals and finals. But just speaking about, I mean, there are other factors that to come to my mind as well when it comes to the format. And I'm thinking a little bit from the sustainability point of view of it as well. And I think that's a different topic. But speaking about this, the format, I think all of this is wrong. And the next World Cup's already going to be better. But I definitely want to see quarterfinals come back in. For me, it really makes it more exciting. 2015, that way, was so much better. I think it was 2015 was similar to the group. Uh, the group stage was similar to what we're having in 2027. But they did have the quarterfinals, semifinals, and finals. So I think that was really nice. Very exciting. Adds more competitiveness and uh, yeah, more fight in this as well. So yeah, I think just ha- playing, having everyone playing everyone. We thought it could be great, but turning out not. Yeah, I 100% agree. I think quarterfinals have to be in the tournament. I think the new, what they're proposing for 2027 is good with the uh, two groups of seven, but I don't think there's any need for the super sixes after. Go straight to a, straight to quarterfinals, just have the top four in each group, go through quarterfinals, semifinals, final. It's just, I feel like it's just so they can guarantee that it, like they have the big games. You oh, know? completely. Like they, they just want the India v Pakistan. They want the Australia against England. You know, um, and I just think it, it kind of ruins it because it's just valuing revenue over entertainment massively. Um, I mean, fair enough, they've got to make money, but they've still, they can still do that. And I think if you, if you value entertainment, then the revenue will come because you have more exciting games. I mean, I usually mentioned there in the tournament that not many games went to a close finish or anything like that. Is that a fault of the format or is it a fault of the 50 over format? Should they maybe reduce it to 40 overs? Maybe include a bonus point system? What do you think? I mean, some of those changes, really, it could add a bit more spice to things. But yeah, I do agree that the 50 over format is also adding to that problem where, uh, yeah, it's just, I don't know, 50 overs has already been in the talks a lot for the length of the game and with so much of T20 cricket now, people really don't have the attention span or you know the interest to sit for like seven and a half eight hours and watch an ODI game or even a three and a half hour long single 50 over inning so I do think that uh, you know this problem of not having close finishes I think that that's more to do with the 50 over format and the way it's going right now but that was already a problem and then having a situation where Everyone is playing everyone and it gets to a stage where two or three three teams have as good as confirmed qualification and there's only one team left, we're not sure, until the end. And then even so many of the matches at the end just had nothing. I mean, even if those had been close finishes, some of them, it would have hardly mattered because so many of the teams were already out. Some of those had already made it in. So that's what I, I think that even if we did have close matches... Uh, at the towards the end of the tournament, it really wouldn't have made a difference because all playing all format had already rendered some of those last few matches, you know, invaluable. Yeah, definitely, Toby. If you were to make any changes to the format, what would they be? I think I've said it a few times, but I I think as we've, as we've all mentioned already, but the quarterfinals I think are a must. Um, I I really like the format of the T Twenty World Cup next summer. Four groups, five teams, uh, 20 teams total. I think it just makes for a lot more interesting viewing that once you get through sort of a couple group games, which in themselves will often be exciting, you might see some upsets. You'll see at least a couple test nations playing each other, some associates who will probably be similar levels to the rest of the associates in there and and the possibility of the Netherlands and Afghanistan upsetting some of the sort of the bigger nations India England as we saw a lot um, Pakistan Australia whoever it might be I think that in itself makes it a lot more exciting and then once you're at knockout stage everything automatically becomes exciting I think like you might still get someone battering someone else and winning by 200 runs but because it's a knockout game I think everyone's gonna be a lot more invested if someone's 
like beating someone else in in what might be a, a con- inconsequential game by the end of the tournament, no one matters that much. I mean, you look at 2019, England needed to basically win all three of their final group games, I think it was, and then win a semi and a final. That's effectively playing what round of 16, round of 32 kind of style, having to win every single game, knockout style. And I remember the country almost automatically, it felt, got behind England and were a lot more invested than they had been when England were, were winning early games or, or struggling in early games. It didn't really matter what the results were. The second that it became, it was all out on the line, everyone seems to become a lot more invested. And by having quarterfinals, um, I think you just make, you just almost bring that stage earlier into the tournament. And Nayush mentioned that there weren't many tight group games, which I think in, in itself is, yeah, as you mentioned, different problem. And you can't necessarily fix that. It's just a little bit of luck, what happens, who plays well on the day. But by having a, an elongated tournament in itself in a group stage, you sort of increase the likelihood that more games are inconsequential. If, if a tournament, if a, if a game goes down to sort of like 10 balls left, you kind of know who's going to win, but not 100%. It doesn't matter that much if it's sort of still a big group game. Like there's, if, if you only have four group games, three group games, everyone becomes a must win effectively. If you have nine group games, it doesn't matter if you, you lose one. I remember when England what, four or five games into the tournament, everyone knew England was probably out. But mathematically, they weren't eliminated until after they lost to Australia with a couple of games to go. And it just felt a little bit wrong and funny in, in, a, in a sort of weird way. Um, and it just felt like England's pain was just being dragged on and on. And it might be a bit of an overreaction from all of us because we saw what happened to England. And it was sort of just an unlucky tournament. 2019... I don't remember there being much complaints about the format. But I think often it's the way that by having sort of major faults within a competition, they're drawn out to the front when it does go badly. And you don't almost think about the possibilities of what could have happened or the best options when, when this happens. So maybe people are over overreacting and overthinking. But yet again, I think it's just as likely that in 2027, if they had the same format, the same thing would happen and everyone gets a bit bored and no one really cares, particularly as it's in South Africa, um, Zimbabwe and uh, Namibia, which are sort of three countries which are obviously good cricket countries and enjoy their cricket. But compared to India in particular, where there are 1.5 million cricket, fa- billion, sorry, cricket fans in India just alone who, who came out for most of the games, but it wasn't quite as well attended as, as it would have hoped to have been in a sort of smaller countries and smaller stadiums, would it? matter as much and it probably will matter more if, if people aren't turning out and aren't as interested definitely I feel I feel like we're kind of all in agreement here it's not much of a debate you know um, but you know maybe that's just that just shows how silly the ICC are being and they just need to change it up before 2027 maybe so. we can think of some other formats as well and maybe have a debate about that if we can come up with some interesting ideas and I mean the the, unique formats altogether. I, I think they should go 40 overs and I think they should have a bonus point system. I think, I think a bonus point system could be really cool for like a boundary count or having a certain number of wickets by a certain amount of time. Do, I, I just think that could be so cool. Do you not think that... Because I, I, I love the ideas of bonus points. I think rugby does it well, generally. Um, I think in F1, maybe having like an overtaking, boundary, uh, overtaking bonus point could be quite interesting because it just encourages people to do what you want them to do, basically, by ha- scoring more tries in rugby whatever it might be, scoring more runs, taking more wickets in cricket. But do you not think it might be slightly too affected by pitches? Like it, cricket is so diverse in the in the number of pitch styles you can play on that you might go and get Australia versus South Africa, which was what, 400 runs? Oh, sorry, Australia versus New Zealand, which was 800 runs effectively um, in, the, in the one match, whereas you then go and someone gets bowled out for 120 and defends it. And um it's sort of slightly yeah. different ways. And I, and I get you kind of cover it, your bases by having um, wickets and runs or boundaries or whatever as bonuses. But there's still a possibility where it's just a really hard pitch to score on, but it's also really hard to take wickets on. And England go and play on that five times, whereas India go and play on one where there's loads of wickets and loads of runs five times. And then they're therefore more or easily can get more bonus points. Yeah, it's a good point. I think the solution to that potentially is having smaller groups and having each group game played at the same ground, if that's possible, wherever the host nation is. Um, 
I mean, with two groups of seven, that becomes a bit difficult, doesn't it? Because you can't play every game at the same ground, can you, uh, in a group of seven? But I think the idea of that makes a lot of sense. I mean, if you have more groups, then it makes even more sense. But then I know that India, this tournament, England in the last one, possibly Australia in 2015, all played one match in every venue, pretty much, because everyone wants to, in the country wants to see them. They're the, they're the spectacle. They're the home team. Yeah. So I guess, it, obviously, in a group stage, it would matter less. And, and actually, I used to write a really good article on um, sort of like... Um, the, the global problems of travelling and, and emissions and everything within cricket and particularly the World Cup um, where there was obviously huge problems with the amount of travelling that some teams had. So actually by basing teams in different locations you might have like a London team, you might have a sort of northern team in like Manchester and Leeds, you could have a, a Midlands team with Trent Bridge and, and Edgebaston. So I guess it could make a lot of sense and particularly in bigger countries where you have to travel a lot more. Yeah, I mean, I don't see them doing that but I really want to see it, you know, restricted to one or two stadiums. Uh, given one, the big factor is the sustainability angle of it. Uh, I really liked how, of course, it was for different reasons, but uh, the previous IPL before 2023 was just played in two cities and I think three, four stadiums. So it was just Mumbai had three stadiums of its own and just a four-hour drive. You don't even have to take a flight. You just drive down for four hours and play in Pune. So... Uh, Having something like that where a couple of cities have multiple stadiums, it kind of helps you from a sustainability angle also and does even out the contest a lot more. All teams have played equal number of matches within, on the same venue, so it definitely takes out uh, one team having the advantage of playing at one venue more, things like that. And another thing with ODI cricket, I think the problem with ODIs is that this format puts, a, you know, the it makes the gap between teams even bigger. Because in T20s, you can really get away with stuff and it makes it more exciting because you can see more upsets. And the favourites don't always, or the best team on paper doesn't always end up winning. And But in ODIs, just through, of course, the best team on paper did not even win the World, ODI World Cup final recently. But throughout a tournament, I think, what the ODI format does just puts it just makes the gap between teams bigger. Well, you have to just be better for longer to win an ODI, pretty much. Which yeah, a lot of the smaller nations aren't as good at because they almost rely on one or two major players to have big impacts, which they can have almost a bigger effect in shorter formats. Exactly. So I don't know. I think that's where uh, that you know just thinking about the just talking about the lack of excitement to close matches in ODIs. I think that's where it stems from. And that's a problem of not the current format that we've had at the World Cup, but of ODI cricket in general. So, yeah, I think maybe your suggestion of shortening the overs or, uh, you know, what, something, I, I don't think that that's feasible, but speaking about things like dividing that, dividing up the, you know, into two innings or something like that, something I think Tendulkar had suggested to the ICC a few years back. I don't like it personally. I don't think that will really work. But... Just having such discussions, having these different kind of discussions to work around the format of 50 over cricket itself, changing things around there, it could be interesting. 100%. Yeah. Um, so we'll call that a day. In our... Quick, quickly then, okay, for the, for just, just before, sorry. <laughs> Which one format then do people want? If, you, if you're in charge of the 2027 World Cup, you can have, you pick the number of overs, you pick the, the format you want them bowled in or whatever if you want two innings. And you can pick your group stages and your knockout rounds. How's everyone designing their, their ultimate tournament for 2027? Okay, I'll start. Um, I would have 40 overs. I'd have... Um, I think I'd have 20 teams. I think I'd have five uh, groups of four, like the rugby. Four, four groups of five. Four groups of five. Why not five groups of four? Because then you get weird knockout stages. Oh, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. Four groups of five, yeah. Uh, and well, in my article, I put two groups of seven, so maybe I'll stick with that. Okay, yeah, I think I think it's interesting. I mean, you can have two groups of eight, you can have two groups of maybe not ten, but that would be a bit pointless. But you can have different sizes of, of tournaments. Yeah, like it makes it interesting. Yeah, on second thought, I'm going to go two groups of seven because then you still have a fifty percent chance that you get the big fixtures in the group stages. But also, there's a little chance that the teams like Afghanistan, if they have an amazing tournament like they just did uh, in the tournament in India. Um, they're much more likely to get through to the knockout rounds where anything can happen. 
Um, Are you then having quarterfinals? Yeah, 100%. Not a super sixes or no, anything? Definitely not. Quarterfinal, semifinal, final. Um, and yeah, that would, that would be it. Pretty simple. Yeah. 40 overs. And I'd have a bonus point system um, for a boundary count. I'm not sure how many. I haven't worked that out yet. Uh, or a certain number of wickets by the 30th over. You, you could almost, with boundary count, have a certain number of percentage of the run scored be boundaries. Because then if it's a lower scoring game, you might be able to have, you can have less boundaries. Whereas if you have a fixed number, say, okay, we want 40 boundaries or whatever it might be, you might struggle a lot more because um, like 40 boundaries, if, if you're 44 is obviously what 160 runs. I feel like that's less exciting though, because if you're watching the game, say a team is on 29 boundaries and they're on their 29.5 ball, yeah. right? And they need a, the 30th boundary. Um, that's a lot more exciting to watch than if it's like a percentage. But I mean? but are they not maybe trying to, um, at that point anyway, just hit boundaries because obviously it's the last ball, say, yeah, or, of yeah. an innings. And that's what makes it exciting. No, but as in they'll try and hit boundaries whether or not there's a bonus point if it's the last ball. Whereas if it's a percentage, you've got the option of either you can get one bonus point guaranteed by hitting a boundary. Whereas if it's a percentage, you say, actually, we'll take a dot ball because that's better than a single, because you get that bonus uh, point, maybe. I do not want to incentivize... I don't want to incentivize <laughs> dot balls. But no, what I mean is there would be a boundary count in the third... Oh, like by the oh 30th over. over. Okay, yeah. 40. Or power play or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I like that. So, okay. Yeah, so it wouldn't be like the last ball of the end. Ah, uh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's, it's, you're basically incentivizing risk yeah. when there wouldn't normally be risk. Yeah. Okay, no, I like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah Aish, what would your ideal format be? I'd like to see more teams definitely... Uh, in whatever if, if if it's a world cup you can't just have 10 teams first of all so 2027 is already better with 14 uh start off I, I don't know i'd like to see 16 teams if if i was you know if i wanted to grow 10 to 16 would be a good nice jump uh and of course the t20s have to have minimum 20 teams and i think that's good that that's happening next year itself but with the odis maybe have 16 have four groups of four each and then the top two from each group go to the quarterfinals and then quarter semifinals. So, yeah, it, from 14, it's already 16 plus groups. And then, yeah, yeah, we still have the quarter semis and the finals. I know, again, with all of all we've been talking about this ODI format and 50 overs and stuff, uh, some of the matches could really get inconsequential there as well. But uh, at least for me, it would make for a lot better viewing. Is that why you're favouring sort of the four groups rather than two bigger groups of eight? Or? Yeah, I mean, think back to 2007. Uh, one upset, India against Bangladesh, and they were out. Pakistan, I think, was Ireland, and they were out. So your teams know that, okay, if... Of course, if you're playing a team like maybe a Scotland or... Ireland or the Netherlands, who you know on that day can upset you. Maybe not if you're playing the way India did at this World Cup, but some it could happen to any team. And it could happen to India in 2027 as well. They're not going to be playing in their home conditions the next time. and Anything could happen. So like that, like that format, teams would know that, okay, even though an India or an uh, Australia versus Scotland game would otherwise be okay not too exciting India or Australia whoever the big team is would still be aware that okay we have to win because it's just the we have to get out of this group we can't afford any kind of an upset and stuff so and those teams would also if they manage to beat one of the other teams would know that okay we just need this one more win against doesn't matter if it's India Australia England whoever one more win this big upset and we are through to the next group so I think it would make it more exciting and could be a nice way to go, yeah. Perfect. I think I'm going to stick with my usual saying of four groups of five, as Michael almost almost had. <laughs> yeah. um, I just think that you kind of, similar to Ayush in the way, I, I really like group stages. You get a few games out there early. They're still important because top two teams will make it through. So even if one team like India are just unbeatable in that group stage, say, you can still have a fight for that second place. Um, and, and I think having five teams in them allows 20 teams in the tournament, which in itself makes it more exciting. It's a World Cup, for example. You have the Champions Trophy for the eight top eight teams in the world that, that you want to play in a in a sort of smaller and, and more um, money-making kind of tournament, say, where you get the big teams playing the big teams every game. 
But I think for the for the purposes of a World Cup, you have to have as many teams in there as possible. And I get that that maybe there aren't as many top tier cricket nations as football and, and as rugby. But I still think it makes it more exciting. You look at the Football World Cup a couple of years ago and what Saudi Arabia beat Argentina in the yeah. first game of the group stage. And that was insane. And even more insane to think that Argentina would go on to win the World Cup itself. So I think just getting getting games like that in excitable um, circumstances makes it, makes it more exciting in itself. Yeah, definitely. I think cricket could definitely take a leaf out of all these other sports, but well, mainly rugby and football, but take a leaf out of their books and um, see how they do it. And, it, you know, I'm always a lot more excited for a football World Cup than a cricket World Cup, personally. Um, but, you know, maybe that's just me. Um, anything else anyone wants to add to the weekly cricket conundrum? I okay, so we can move on to the quiz. I've been itching for this. <laughs> Oh, for about 50 minutes that we've been recording this. I I, I, uh, devised this quiz last night. Um, We're going to need some buzzer noises from both of you. Toby, what's your buzzer noise? Must be Toby. Okay, are you sure about you? Anything else. (laughs) (laughs) Anything else, that's your buzzer noise. You don't have to say anything else. I'll just go go with whatever comes to me in that moment. Sure, okay. Uh, But it can't be, um... Don't, don't, say, don't go, mm. okay, that's uh, not a buzzer noise, right? Taking a leaf out of Toby's book, I'll just go with Ayush. There you go. Simple. <laughs> now you know instantly who, who said it. Okay, I'm going to need a bit more originality next time. But okay. Okay, <laughs> uh, question numero uno. Which, this is a Cricket World Cup themed fizz, mm-hmm. uh, quiz, by the way. Which team finished eighth in the group stage? Toby. Bangladesh. Correct. One nil to Ooh. Toby. I need to make... Make a note of this. Okay, question number two. Who captained the Netherlands? Toby. Uh, Ayush. Oh. Uh, Scott Edwards? Correct. Two notes oh. to Toby. Ayush, step your game up. Come on. Come I on. knew that one, buddy. He was quicker than me. It's because you're trying to think of a buzzer noise and it didn't work. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay, question number three. Uh, so at the start of the tournament, me and Ayush predicted Mitchell Stark to take the most wickets in the world Toby Mohammed uh, Chan oh. oh wait you... we need to get is it Toby Toby's... no Toby said Toby first is it Mohammed Chami incorrect oh. I've started so what's I'll your finish... question I'll finish the question how I many was, wickets I was trying to jump in how many wickets did Mitchell Stark take in the world cup oh. the answer Ayush. was not Mohammed Chami <laughs> uh, 16 correct damn it yes. lovely stuff that right. serves me right for trying to be, be clever and jump in <laughs> All right, love that. 2-1 to Toby. Question number four. Who had the best bowling average from the whole tournament? Ayush. Mohamed Chami. It's incorrect. Oh, wait. Okay, can oh, I go uh, again? Uh, uh, no, yeah, no, you no. locked out. You locked no, out, no, mate. You know if Toby this. gets it wrong, you can come back in. Um, best bowling average. Yeah. Oh, oh, I do. Um, oh, there's two options here. I'm going to go with Rohit Sharma. Oh, yeah. Correct. Yes. Yes. Let's oh, go. <laughs> Why he didn't say and I remember seeing that I was like I think he had an average of seven <laughs> Unbelievable <laughs> Somehow um, In the one over that he bought mm. Yeah literally Compared to Virat Kohli's average of nine In the 1.2 <laughs> 1. overs he bowled or something like that The top three are Rohit Sharma at number one Mohamed Shami at number two And yeah. Virat Kohli number three Indians dominating right there <laughs> Okay question number five there were three Australian batters in the top five highest individual scores of the tournament. Name them. Ayush. Yes. Glenn Maxwell. Yeah. David Warner. Yeah. And uh, you said three Australians. Yeah. In the top five individual scores. So yeah, Maxwell, Warner, and the third one, I'm going to go with Mitch Marsh. Oh, yes. I thought you weren't going to get that. Oh. <laughs> Just about. Got it. Okay. Three, two to Toby. Okay, even Stevens almost. Who scored the highest number of centuries at the tournament and Toby. how many did they get? Quinton de Kock, four. Correct. Well done, Toby. That, Rapid fire. That, Rapid fire. That was quick. That was quick. Are you under the cosh? Question number seven. South Africa achieved the highest score in the World Cup with 428 for five, but who was it against? Toby. I- That's Toby, I'm afraid. Oh, I was uh, too slow. Was it England? No, it was not. Can I get my chance? Yes, now? yes. Against 
Bangladesh. Oh, no, it's Toby? incorrect. Oh. Um, Can we keep gonna, going? Or? No, no, I'm going to time you both out. The answer was Sri Lanka. Oh, yeah. First game itself. I think so, yeah. I'm not sure. I think it was, yeah. I mean, I mean yeah. their first game. Yeah, and everyone was getting excited about South Africa. How mm. wrong they were. <laughs> okay. Number eight. Out of Dawid Milan, Aidan Markram and Glenn Maxwell, who scored the most runs? Toby. Glenn Maxwell. Incorrect. Uh, Wait, what's the question? Out of Dawid Milan, Aidan Markram and Glenn Maxwell, who scored the most runs in the tournament? Aidan Markram. Yes. It's correct. Nice. I would uh, actually Toby helped me on that. Yeah, I went for Maxwell. Yeah, I thought I had to get out there. Listen to this. Aidan Markran scored 406. Dawid Milan scored 404. And Glenn Oof. Maxwell scored 400. So Glenn Maxwell was actually... So Dawid Milan had more runs than Glenn Maxwell. That's yeah. crazy. Uh, yeah. Wow. Far less important runs, but it got more, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Yeah I, yeah. I don't know how. Uh, but anyway. ODIs again. <laughs> uh, question number nine. What stadium was the semi-final between Australia and South Africa Ayush, played at? Eden Gardens. Correct. Perfect. It's four or... Oh, with one question to move oh. And this is your... God. This has worked out absolutely perfectly. <laughs> okay. So, four or one question remaining. Whoever has the closest answer mm-hmm. to, in this question, wins. How many sixes were scored in the World Cup? Oh, this is tough. Oh, my God. In the entire tournament? Um, well, yeah, well, the tournament. Do you want to have a guess first or do you want me to? Uh, well, to be fair, whoever goes second has a bit of an advantage. Yeah. yeah. Of course. Um, All right. Write it down. Write it down on your Ooh, phones. Okay. Do you want me to just tell you? Because he... Yeah, yeah, yes. you can tell me. Okay, yeah. Okay. Guy, how many sixes were scored in the World Cup, guys? I, I said 38. <laughs> okay. And Aish, <laughs> how many did you say? I said 300. <laughs> 305 or something. What? 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 Uh, Thirty-eight. Yeah, I think I think I missed a zero. <laughs> the answer was six hundred and forty. Oh my god! How, no, yeah, I meant I meant Toby. I meant three hundred and eighty was Toby, the problem. Toby, but you were you were really close. Only uh, no, yeah. six hundred and six off. That's poor. I'm gonna have to just check this because you made me question myself. Because I'm really far off too. If that's six hundred and what? I mean, if you sense. think about it, like. How many games were played? It was almost like 100, wasn't it? So 45 yeah. games? Something like yeah, that. I think it was around 50-ish games or yeah. something. Yeah. That's not too far. I, I, I will say I did mean 380, but it's a bit late to change. So they were, they were averaging, what, 12 sixes per game? Uh, That's quite crazy to think. Kind of makes sense, I guess, when you think about it, when they're playing 300 balls each. Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah I can confirm it is 664. And Ayush takes the win. Oh. Good job, Aish. So that is one on the tally for you as we move forward. Toby is absolutely fuming. I can see it on his face. I bottled that as well. I bottled it with 38 at the end. Yeah, that is is poor. That's what a typo gets you. (laughs) Okay, that is that. Uh, Exciting end to the podcast. Uh, Good fun today. Um, Any articles to plug? I'll plug mine first. I've got a new uh, article on the format which on the Cricket World Cup format like I mentioned earlier coming out Sunday morning um, yeah are you sharing the articles? yeah no nothing uh, immediately but yeah working on a couple of things I'm going to be uh, you know doing a lot more on the sustainability uh, impact of cricket as well and uh, I mean we'll definitely speak about it at length in a podcast going forward in our new cricket conundrum uh, segment that we have, I like the name, and uh, yeah, so I'm I, I I'm gonna be doing more on that as well because cricket as a sport, uh, for those you know who've uh, not read about this, and even I've mentioned in the article that I did is uh, is a sport that has been kind of thought to be hardest hit by uh, climate change, and yeah, the ICC and everyone involved need to do more, a lot more, a lot soon. So, yeah, there'll yeah. be more from me on that. And your article that you put out this week on yes. the sustainability issues of the Cricket World Cup was really good. So check that Thank out. You. Toby, anything? Uh, I'm hoping to get a piece out over the weekend on the Hardik Pandya move in the IPL, mm. um, which is effectively a football transfer style, it felt like. Um, Hardik Pandya just sort of forced a move through back to Mumbai Indians where he was just a few years ago, having cap- been captaining Gujarat Titans over the last couple of years um 
yeah, I'm wait, waiting on a, on a few possible interviews and, and some people to tell me what they think and uh, what's been happening. So, so it should be good, hopefully. But um, yeah, I guess it's something to talk about over the next few months with the IPL, um, or April next year, roughly. So it's a lot, lot more transfers that will be coming in. Yeah, sounds good. Um, definitely give those a read and we will see you next week. Sports Social Podcast Network.